Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 182. We'll continue in the Psalms with a brief summary of chapters 115 through 118 and follow with some thoughts about sickness, healing, and who we should thank. It's been a while, but Psalm 15 brings back the tried and true polemic against idolatry, portraying the idolaters as dunces who can't comprehend that God is incorporeal because their gods are represented in wood, stone, and precious metals. But we know better. Quote, a mouth they have, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. Ears they have, but they do not hear. A nose they have, but they do not smell. Their hands, but they do not feel. Their feet, but they do not walk. They make no sound with their throat. Like them may be those who make them all who trust in them. But we, the poet says, trust in God, Israel, and the house of Aharon, the priests and Levites, and the God-fearers, perhaps converts to Judaism or monotheists who aren't Jews but aren't idolaters either, and those that trust in God will be blessed. Psalm 116 finds the poet or the poet's surrogate just recovered from a serious illness, quote, the cords of death encircled me, and the straits of Sheol found me. So now he brings the thank you offering and this psalm, which the poet acknowledges is actually not very much considering, quote, what can I give back to the Lord for all he requited to me? But it doesn't stop the poet from dedicating the next eight verses to praising God, quote, in the sight of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst of Jerusalem, hallelujah. Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in all the Tanakh, two verses, 16 words, calling on all the nations of the world to praise God because, quote, for his kindness overwhelms us and Adonai's steadfast truth is forever. Hallelujah. Psalm 118 brings in a collection of voices to praise God each in their own way. We have a reprise of Israel, the house of Aharon and God-fearers, but then the poet introduces his personal perspective. Quote, from the straits I called to Yah, Yah answered me in a wide open place. And with God's answer and rescue, the poet learned two important lessons. First, quote, better to shelter in Adonai than to trust in princes. Men might make promises and wield power, but God is the ultimate. And second, quote, Yah harshly chastised me, but to death did not deliver me. Which is to say, God rescues but also punishes, and in preserving the poet's life, also provides another opportunity for praise. Quote, I shall not die, but live and recount the deeds of Yah. The psalm concludes from a more broader perspective, that of the nation, and the poet employs the image of a construction site. Quote, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Everyone has written the Jews off, even the Jews, but there's a bigger plan afoot. Quote, from the Lord did this come about. It is wondrous in our eyes. But in the end, all will congregate in God's sanctuary, the temple, to praise God and be praised. And on that celebratory note, here endeth the lesson. It's strange to think that something so natural and so common a little more than a month ago today seems so far and removed from our experience. I'm talking about congregating, 
That is, humans being together in groups larger than our immediate nuclear families. As I'm sure you've heard probably 50,000 times today alone, humans are social animals. But it's hard not to look for signs of the present in the past. Perhaps there might be a lesson there. That's kind of the point of every rabbi's sermon or Devar Torah ever written. So when this week's episode alludes to affliction with serious illness and how after recovering as a sign of thanksgiving, the poet repays his debt to God before, quote, all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in the midst of Jerusalem. Hallelujah. And my first thought, my reflex is to think it was probably being in the courts of the house of the Lord amidst all those people that got him sick in the first place. And then I remember, no, that probably wasn't it. Maybe he just like stepped on a rusty nail or something and was laid up with muscle spasms and fevers and aches for however long. And then... I'm getting better! No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. And then I thought about that image of the ten kohanim, the ten priests, who during the Passover morning service recited the priestly benediction at the Western Wall, each with a face mask, each standing two meters apart from the nearest Kohen while the blessing was live-streamed on YouTube. The priestly benediction, otherwise known as the raising of the hands, was to be done in the presence of the nation. So in temple times, this rite would happen in the massive courtyard with tens of thousands of pilgrims in attendance. Today, without a temple, it's primarily done in the synagogue, but it's also, as I mentioned, done at the Western Wall. Before the ceremony begins, Levites in the congregation wash the hands of the Kohanim, and the Kohanim remove their shoes. Then the Kohanim ascend the bima in front of the ark. They cover their heads with their talitot, their prayer shawls, and recite the blessing over performing the mitzvah. They then turn to face the congregation, and the chazan, the service leader, recites the following verses, with the Kohanim repeating it word for word after. In many congregations, it is customary for those attending to spread their talitot over their heads and not look at the kohanim while they hold their hands up in the air, palms facing the people with their fingers forming the letter shin. Shut your eyes, Mary, and don't look at it no matter what happens. If it's hard to picture this hand sign, imagine the Vulcan greeting, because as the story goes, a very young Leonard Nimoy apparently peeked out from under his father's talit, and what he saw made quite an impression because when he was cast later on as an adult as Spock, the Vulcan in Star Trek, the original series, and there was some discussion about how Vulcans would greet each other, Nimoy suggested it and demonstrated And it became so well known that it followed Nimoy everywhere. And in June 2014, the priestly blessing was added to version 7 of the Unicode standard as U plus 1F596. In other words, it's an emoji now. Live long and prosper. The priestly benediction is also the oldest known biblical text to have been found by archaeologists. A silver amulet with these verses was found in a grave in Ketef Hinnom, adjacent to St. Andrew's Church, southwest of Jerusalem's old city. The amulet dated from the first temple period. So, in this time of physical distancing and pandemic, would the traditional and the devout pass on the priestly blessing that channels God's presence, or would they defy regulations and congregate despite the risks? Potato, patrizan, whatever. 
It turns out that both would be true. They would not give up the opportunity to affirm God's promise of God's face shining upon them and protecting them while maintaining Dalid Amot or four cubits of space between each of the faithful. But many more would adhere to the order of the Beit Din Shomata, the lower court or human authority, and they would stop meeting in groups of 10 or more to pray. In Israel, Haredim or ultra-Orthodox Jews account for about 12.5% of the population, but health officials say they make up about a third of the country's coronavirus cases. In Bnei Brak, an ultra-Orthodox city outside of Tel Aviv, up to 40% of the residents are likely infected. Police have set up checkpoints around the city, restricting who is let in and out. COVID-19 has also hit disproportionately hard in Haredi enclaves like Stanford Hill in the UK and Brooklyn, New York. Religious leaders are no doubt partly to blame for the rise in cases, as some respected rabbis urged followers to carry on as normal, even as the virus swept through their areas. It didn't help that prominent leaders said that the Torah was the best prophylactic against sickness. Rabbi Chaim Kanevsky, B'nai Brock's leading rabbinic authority, promised immunity from the coronavirus to anyone voting United Torah Judaism in Israel's most recent election. But even if the Haredim did everything right, and followed every rule down to its most minute jot and tittle. Demographic and socioeconomic conditions are stacked against them. Haredi families on average are larger, and living conditions on average are more cramped and dense, and while we're connecting with folks over Zoom and our kids are being schooled remotely, most Haredi families are not connected to the internet and kids don't have smartphones to distract them. Also, most apartments in Bnei Brak, for example, don't have balconies. The psychological toll, in addition to the physical toll, is indescribable. But devout Jews are not the only ones caught on the horns of this dilemma. A handful of evangelical Christian churches across the world are defying orders, as well as some mosques. Of course, it's not every Haredi congregation or evangelical church or Shiite mosque, but I understand the impulse to cling to God and to each other in a time of uncertainty. And I also appreciate science. God did not do that. Fate did not do that. Destiny did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering did that. And many rabbis in history would agree with that. Tractate Bavakama says, quote, when there is an epidemic in the town, keep your feet inside your house. Tractate Sanhedrin states, quote, any city lacking these 10 things, a sage may not live there, a beit din, a basket for tzedakah, a synagogue, a bathhouse, a latrine, a doctor, a bloodletter, a clerk, a butcher, an elementary school teacher. Great scholars like Shmuel, the disciple of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, the editor and redactor of the Mishnah, was also a physician, as were the commentators Maimonides, Nachmanides, and Ibn Ezra. According to a 2005 biography of Maimonides by Sherwin Newland, during the Islamic Golden Ages, approximately half of the Jewish doctors were also rabbis. In the first half of the 14th century, only 5% of the population of Marseille was Jewish, but they accounted for 43% of the city's physicians. All of which is to say that it wasn't always the case that science and devout adherence were at odds. No one would question the credentials of the Rambam, one of the greatest Jewish thinkers of all time, author of the Guide to the Perplexed and the Mishnah Torah, but he understood how infection spread. 
and in the face of a pandemic, he would have been the first to quote the dictum based on Tractate Yoma, Pikuach Nefesh Doches Shabbat, saving a life overrides Shabbat, how much more so saving lives, plural. So when, like the poet, one turns to God because of sickness or to thank God for healing, God doesn't hear you less when you thank God alone. God can hear you just fine anywhere, but especially with your feet inside your house and with your hands washed. If you like what you hear today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Tell a friend about TanakhCast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to TanakhCast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently, it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning vibe this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 183, when we continue in Psalms with chapters 119 through 122.